This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, hey, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce, and I don't know about you, but I have been living for the drama. The drama I'm talking about, of course, is the ongoing revelation surrounding New York Congressman George Santos. Just to give you a little backstory here, Santos was elected back in November, and days after he won, the New York Times dropped a bomb of a story revealing that a lot of Santos's purported biography can't be backed up by evidence. From his family history to his alleged time as an investor at Goldman Sachs, there are no records. I repeat, there are no records. Make of that what you will. But today, we're not digging into the validity of his claims. We're asking why Representative Santos might embellish his resume in the first place. And it all goes back to the great American tradition of being, quote, self-made. My guest today, Tara Burton, is an expert on self-making. Her forthcoming book is literally titled Self-Made, Creating Our Identities from Da Vinci to the Kardashians. And she took a break from writing to apply her research to George Santos. I've actually been offline for the past couple of weeks finishing a novel with no internet. <laughs> so I caught up fast. <laughs> Normally I have my like trickle of news, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas... I just went online and went, oh, God, oh. what have I missed? I got it all at once. <laughs> There's, that's that's some good A1 political gossip you were able to get. One big hit of all at once. It was like, you know, an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> and for Tara, the concept of, quote, self-made is two sides of the same coin. Well, there's really uh, two complementary mm-hmm. definitions. There's the one we think about when we use the, the colloquial term, the self-made man or, or self-made woman or self-made person, right. which refers to someone often who is born uh, not in privileged economic circumstances, not from a particularly elevated class background, but who with hard work and grit and determination uh, makes themselves a, a financial and economic success. And to apply that to George Santos's alleged story... He claims he's the son of Brazilian immigrants, that he went on to graduate from a public college, that he became a, quote, seasoned Wall Street investor at Goldman Sachs, that he has a family-owned real estate portfolio of 13 properties, that he has an animal rescue charity that saved thousands of animals' lives. Sounds like a man who has certainly made himself. The second definition is often uh, used as the person who creates themselves kind of as a work of art or, mm. or as a, a kind of public figure. You could think about more recent figures like David Bowie or Lady Gaga, celebrities who are Literally. kind of figures who have really created an identity. When you gave the second definition, I'm like, the first person I thought of was Lady Gaga. <laughs> Absolutely. The whole public persona, a work of art. And in the case of George Santos, his alleged biography has a ton of holes in it. His parents are immigrants, but much of the story he's told about them has been proven impossible. His purported college has no record of him. Neither does Goldman Sachs. And the IRS, you guessed it, has no record of his animal charity. In other words, his resume could be read as less a work of reality and more a work of art. I argue in my book, Self-Made, that these two seemingly quite distinct definitions are actually, they're two sides of the same coin of this idea, increasingly prevalent in our contemporary society, that we can really 
make ourselves, we can make our own reality. And by looking inwards and cultivating our personality and our resources, our internal resources, we can not just uh, change our circumstances, but really remake ourselves in the image of who we want to be. And in George Santos's case, the image he created helped him become the first openly gay Republican to unseat a Democratic incumbent and get elected to the most powerful legislative body in the world. Today, we're getting into what it means to be self-made, why Americans crave it, and how increasingly who we want to be is who we think we really are. After a quick break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. Tara, welcome to It's Been a Minute. I'm so glad that you could join me today to talk about this. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted. Oh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. So... George Santos has said that he is, quote, the full embodiment of the American dream, which, you know, I have to say, in some ways I agree with. In your book, you write that one of the major tenets of the American dream is this self-making or self-mythologizing, and that this is uniquely American. How do you think self-making is intertwined with what we call the, quote unquote, American dream? I think that the um, the kind of genesis of American self-making had this sort of wonderful idealistic quality. Uh, you find it, for example, in uh, Frederick Douglass's speeches about the self-made man, this vision that America is a place where ideally uh, wherever and however you are born, the circumstances uh, into which you come into this world do not need to define you. And through, mm. uh, in Douglass's case, uh, he talks extensively about work and how work allows uh, the individual to kind of transcend his, in this case, circumstances. Mm-hmm. And somehow over the past uh, few centuries, that sort of changed and shifted slightly uh, into you kind of deserve the life you dream of. Mm-hmm. And the work that you do is not uh, the work of of study or, or disciplined toil, but a kind of work of uh, self-examination and self-cultivation, mm-hmm. like the uh, deciding who you want to be and figuring out who you quote unquote really are on the inside becomes the impetus to creating a persona that you share uh, with the outside world, whether or not it's based in what we might think of as reality. So you studied a lot of self-makers, especially politicians. Like, I wonder what politician do you think Santos most closely resembles, perhaps specifically in his penchant for self-making or self-mythologizing in that way? 
so so the uh, it's a bit of an obvious answer, but I do think it is the right one where I think he is in the tradition of former President Donald Trump, <sighs> specifically in his seeming conviction, I don't want to make statements about the inside of his brain, that truth and reality is something that you you can shape in accordance to your desires. This idea that it's, it's not exactly lying so much as using the power of your internal personality and your the sheer force of your desire to change what truth is. Mm. And in The Art of the Deal, Trump or his ghostwriter have made similar statements about the fact that reality, uh, truth, these, these are things that can be massaged, shaped, improved. Hmm. You know, you brought up Donald Trump. I, I, I do find it interesting that George Santos is a devout follower of Donald Trump, somebody else who's done a lot of self-mythologizing. And Trump's connection to self-mythology is interesting here because he is a devout follower of a pastor named Norman Vincent Peale. Trump's parents took him to see this pastor from a very early age. And Norman Vincent Peale famously wrote, the massive bestseller, The Power of Positive Thinking. For those of us who haven't read it, Tara, can, can you sum up this book for us? Sure. So there's a phrase that Norman Vincent Peale, this, uh, this pastor and writer, used, picturize, prayerize, actualize. <laughs> and he believed that if you could just pray for something, if you could hold a picture of it in your mind and, and really focus on it, it would come true. Sounds like new thought. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. It was like a new thought, sort of a little bit of Christianity throw in, but really it's it's the classic new thought tenant of if you can dream it, you can have it. If you want it badly enough, it will be yours. And it's that, that specific idea that desire, that that wanting is a kind of spiritual force in itself, that whatever happens in the universe is downstream of your desire, mm. that what you want is basically a magical force in the universe. You know, <laughs> and, and Peel's number Number one rule in this book is, quote, formulate and staple indelibly on your mind, which is already visually scary enough as it is, um, but formulate and staple indelibly on your mind a mental picture of yourself succeeding. Trump called this man his pastor and followed this to a T. He officiated one of his weddings. And I think we can argue by extension that George Santos kind of has as well. It's just that especially in Santos's case, the mental picture he had, it it didn't seem to match reality. Is that what Peel was going for, do you think? Like, is this sort of result um, what Peel was going for? From my perspective, at least, this is the natural endpoint of a vision of the universe that is so, like, indelibly part of our culture now that I think we don't even always know that we, perhaps in a much less extreme way than Trump or Santos, are participating in it. Mm. But I think that once you you kind of allow this idea that your des uh, internal desires have a kind of spiritual or magical power, that uh, reality is something fungible that is shaped by not just uh, human ingenuity or human creativity or human work, but human wanting, mm -hmm. then suddenly, like, one can say, what is reality? Reality is what you make it. And no less importantly, in this case, reality is what you can make people think it is. Suddenly, there's very little difference between I am magically attracting wealth by meditating upon it in the New Thought tradition, hmm. and I am making other people believe things that will cause them to give me money. Hmm. 
what's the difference? One of them's quote unquote magic, one of them's quote unquote persuasion. Hmm. But then these things kind of come together. Reality is being shaped by desire and canny self-presentation. Gosh. If you <sighs> have this image of yourself, your internal personality as the great celebrity, the Hollywood star, right, right, the right. genius entrepreneur or the, thinker the or successful innovator. The congressperson. Exactly. Yeah. Without speculating uh, to, uh, as to George Santos's uh, emotional state, I would imagine yeah. that he has an image of himself, his quote-unquote authentic self as the successful congressman, uh -huh. which he is, in Peel's words, staple to his mind. And <laughs> he is manifesting that reality. Is he lying? On the outside, one might say yes. But from the point of view of someone who says, well, truth is simply what you make it, mm. he's just manifesting. Manifesting. It's funny to hear pop psychology's favorite word pop up here. Here's the thing, though. As much as we want to think we make ourselves, who we are is as equally made by how others understand us. And for George Santos, no matter how we look at him, he wins. We'll tell you why after a quick break. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today. You know, you also write about how the concept of self-made is in part what we say about ourselves, but also how others view us. In other words, our self-image is in part made by the community that we're in, or perhaps maybe even the community that we intentionally attract. Um, if you had to break it into percentages, how much of ourselves are made up by what we say about ourselves and what others perceive us to be, or what we can get others to, I guess, believe us to be? So I, I think... I, I think it's impossible to break it down into percentages uh, because I think when we start thinking about who we quote unquote really are, everything, even about how we think about ourselves, does come to us from community, from culture. Mm -hmm. And so what I find so troubling about this contemporary fantasy of self-making mm -hmm. is this idea that there's something that is truly and authentically us that is only from within. Hmm. And then there's these people, people out there who exist only to be convinced of our internal truth. Hmm. But who we are, how we think of ourselves, how we understand these ourselves, even what we want is so often shaped for us uh, for better and for worse right. by community. Right. You know, there's, there's this one narrative that, oh, you know, other people are just convincing you of things and getting you away from your authentic self. And I think this is often how this is, is, is framed and in certainly in the self-making tradition, often other people are framed as this dangerous force that, that can repress you or convince you right. that you want something that you don't. But I think the more human way to look at it is that we are political animals. We are social creatures. We exist in community. We shape each other. Let's apply that thinking, I guess, and think about how that shapes the story that that George Santos told to win this election that he just won. What does his alleged resume 
with so many question marks on it, say about what we expect our politicians to be. He told this, you know, this is a a, a really fantastical story sort of following the self-made playbook, starting off as, you know, the son of Brazilian immigrants who manages to go to college, become this Wall Street investor and have this port- this real estate portfolio and then give back. Um, this narrative is so by the book Paint by Numbers for self-making. Yeah. What, what does that say about what, what we as constituents expect from our politicians? I think that the... Uh- the kind of core of the self-made narrative, which is is so attractive to us as watchers, as well as to the people who want to to be seen that way, is that there is there is something about this person, be it their work ethic, be uh, an ability to kind of apply themselves, be it some quality of genius or or brilliance, mm-hmm. um, that means that this person has a, a special ability to rise above the circumstances into which they were born. And on the other side of it, as voters, we find that so attractive, I think, A, because at its best, it does speak to something inspiring and and wonderful in the American experiment, this idea that there is something special about, let's say, the American political system that allows this to be possible, which is itself a bit of a fantasy, but but mm. one with a long-standing tradition. And I think that for politicians who are kind of evoking what is America all about, they are evoking this, this sort of mythos of the best of America, mm. while also um, in some of their, let's say, fabrications, uh, embodying <laughs> some of the worst sides of that same narrative and dream. Hmm. So interesting too that you <laughs> that you put it that way because the other thing that I think about too is like almost on the same token like or, or on in the same vein as like this idea of like oh if this person you know made so much of themselves if they survived so much if they created this life for themselves from nothing they must have some sort of genius I also notice in pop culture um, or even sometimes in the news in the news cycles there's almost an admiration. For people who end up um, becoming quite successful based off of lies sometimes, you know what I mean? Like I even think about, um, what's that movie that people, that Leonardo DiCaprio movie, I think it was the Steven oh, Spielberg. Catch Me if Catch You me Can. If you can. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, like there's almost like an admiration or an awe <laughs> that people have even when they find out that your story is fake or even if they find out that you've gotten away with some big long con or some big ruse like Wolf of Wall Street or something like mm-hmm. that. There, It's like even like people love it if it's true. People love it if your rags to riches story is true. But also if it ends up that your story is not true, people kind of find something interesting about that or almost admirable about the fact that you were able to get away with it. Absolutely. Um, I always think of uh, P.T. Barnum of Barnum and Bailey, right. the 19th century uh, circus impresario and famous hoaxer, uh, who actually wrote a book about what he called humbug, which was like fun little lies that are also entertaining. And his his <laughs> thesis was that the American public loves this. It's fun. It's entertainment. We love good stories. Mm. And he he defended his practice of, you know saying that they were that he discovered mermaids when actually he just found found some random gross fish and you know <laughs> he his whole um ethos was that people want to be fooled a little bit because people love the the entertainment part of it hmm. and i think that that's something that we we also can't 
forget when we think about American politics is that as politics and entertainment have become more and more closely intertwined, Mm -hmm. I think that that sense that we are an audience, we are viewers as much as voters. And so the uh, the compelling personalities, the people whose stories uh, draw us in are the people we watch. And I've got to say, I probably know more about George Santos than I know about a, a lot of politicians. Uh, so in that way, it worked. He is, he is clearly a, going to be a, a well-known celebrity, regardless of what happens with his political career. And w- without speculating about his motivations, um, he may himself consider that a success. Hmm. Certainly, some, some people might. Hmm. You know, <laughs> I can't help but think of the show Veep you know, on HBO, every political crisis the vice president in that show runs into is filtered through this lens of how will this play to the public? In other words, politicians have to have people like them. They have to have people like them. They have to have a good story. And if reality and these great stories get further apart, I don't know, that feels like we're headed somewhere not so good. Like, what do you think about that? I... I am certainly uh, wary. I don't think this is a a good trajectory. But unfortunately, I think as we are increasingly in a more and more digital age, Mm -hmm. in a landscape that is um, basically like a literalization of ideas about self-making, the idea that what you want to see is reality. I don't just mean social media and the fact that we can present ourselves in a certain way. I mean that the news that shows up is curated for us by the fact that um, there are algorithms that know what we want to see and give us more of it. Advertisements chase us around the internet based on what we've already bought. Mm. So many of us spend huge chunks of our lives plugged into a system that makes desire literal. What we see, our reality, the news we consume, the uh, media that is presented to us, all of that runs on the engine of desire. And I think that the more that we live in this internet world, and I say this as someone who is probably way too online and way too on Twitter, (laughs) but the more we live in that world, I think this promise, this magical promise of self-making, that what you want can be made manifest, really can happen in the disembodied world of the internet. Hmm. That magic is real there. Hmm. You know, we began this conversation with a quote from George Santos where he said that he was the embodiment of the American dream. Tara, after all we've discussed here, can can we confidently say that at least in that he's telling the truth? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and 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 if he is at least in his own self-mythologizing, following a great American tradition, What lessons would you relay to Representative Santos on what happens when you head down this path? I would like to say that it only ends in tears for the various con artists and self-makers, but unfortunately, that is not the case. Sometimes (laughs) sometimes they get away with it, historically speaking. True. Um, But I would say that I think that Another lesson that we can take away from self-making is that the more we believe that our individual desires have the power to shape the world, the less we are receptive to being members of a community that all shape and take care of each other. Hmm. And I would caution him, as I would caution anyone going down this path, to remember that we are not, in fact, self-made 
creatures. We are social creatures mm-hmm. and that that is at its core what life and being human is all about. And I think it's very dangerous to forget that. Tara, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a lot of fun and I learned a lot. I um, will never refer to myself as self-made ever in my life. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute delight. Thank you. Tara Isabella Burton's forthcoming book is called Self-Made, Crafting Identity from Da Vinci to the Kardashians. This episode was produced by Barton Girdwood and edited by Jessica Plachek. I'm your host, Brittany Luce, and I'll be back Friday for another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. Talk soon, y'all. This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com slash NPR. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR.